0: I have officiated three weddings in the last two weeks. Two of them were on the same day. They were right here. And something really strange happened at each one of the weddings toward the end of the ceremony after the couples had vowed their love and faithfulness to one another. And after they had exchanged rings as a symbol of that commitment, no no matter how hard I tried, I just could not bring myself to look at the groom and say to him, you may now shake hands with your bride. Call me crazy, but I just felt this compulsion to say to the groom, you may now kiss your bride. Maybe it's because the 89-year-old groom, yes, you heard me right, the 89-year-old groom interrupted me between the vows and the rings and said, when do I get to kiss her? And I told him to be patient, that I was in charge and he could kiss her when I told him he could kiss her. But the evident love and eagerness and anticipation clearly called for more in that moment than shaking hands on a good deal made or on entering a very practical arrangement that made good practical sense. Marriage is a legal contract, but marriage is more than a legal arrangement. And that's what's clear when when the couples come here and stand here to be married. If the legal aspect of the ceremony is on their minds at all, it's in some remote place because what takes a center stage is the love they have for one another. So throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, God's relationship with his people is compared to a marriage. In the New Testament, we, the church, are referred to as the bride of Christ. And that relationship has both a legal side as well as an emotional side. And so the question is, how do you, how do you, how do I keep those two in balance? Do you view the Lord as someone with whom you can only shake hands? Or do you know for certain, do you know for certain that he loves you intensely? I hope that the passage this morning will bring balance into our lives. That our life of faith will be marked by duty, by commitment, by obedience. But in addition to that, that we will be convinced, convinced of the love that the Lord has for us. And that the love of the Lord will be received by us and will be returned to him. And that we will be energized by the love that God has for us and propelled, propelled through this life to do great things with God and for God. So that's our goal this morning as we come once again to Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear together the word of the living God. Beginning in verse 7, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Let's pray together. Father, we ask... Once again, that you would bless the reading and hearing of your word. That's the promise you make to us. Feed us from your word this morning, we pray. Spirit of God, we ask that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our minds to understand uh, your truth. But More specifically, Lord, the great love you have for us. and Change us, transform us, because we are people who are so well-loved by you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. In the verses we just read, Moses talks to these people who are gathered on the edge of the promised land uh, about the covenant that God made with their forefather. Last week, if you were here, we talked at length about this covenant that God made with Abraham. And as was the custom of the day, and as we saw last week, God had Abraham sacrifice a ram, a heifer, uh, and a goat. He had them split them, animals, from head to tail and lay them out in mirror images opposite each other, forming an aisle or a pathway between the parts. And then God himself, as the initiator of the covenant, passed through those parts, saying, as was said by that demonstration, that should I fail to faithfully keep every promise I've made to you, then be it unto me as was done to these animals. That was a very dramatic way. The people in Abraham's day entered into a covenant. And it was the closest thing you had in that day, in the desert, to a legal contract. We might call that the shaking hands part. The determination to keep the promises made to one another. In Abraham's day, it was made through walking through the parts. In our day, we walk down the aisle. Here comes the bride, down the aisle, single. But at the end of the ceremony, she walks out, husband and wife, covenant partners, walking down the aisle together, having vowed to keep themselves only unto the other as long as they both shall live. If you do not keep the covenant you made in marriage, you don't just part ways. You have to legally break the covenant. You have to get a divorce. Most often you have to employ a lawyer who help you when you stand before a judge because the covenant of marriage is a legal contract. You and I have a legal contract with God. A legal declaration was made in God's courtroom before God as judge. We stood before his bench and we declared, Judge, I am guilty. I have no excuse. I am a sinner. It feels good to admit it. It feels good to stop making excuses. It feels good to stop trying to justify myself. I'm guilty. I am. But judge, Jesus is here with me, standing with me. He is my advocate. He will speak in my defense. And he has graciously and unbelievably Agreed to take the sentence that you are required to pass on me because I am guilty. Because I don't have an excuse. Because you are required by your law to punish me. So now, judge, since Jesus is willing, let him take my place. He's the only one who can. And he wants to. Though I can't understand why he would. In that moment. When we make a declaration, a confession similar to that, God, as our judge, lets the gavel fall in his courtroom and he says to us, not guilty, not guilty. The penalty that he was required to pass on us, the death sentence for our sins, Jesus already paid. And so God lets us go free. That's the legal arrangement made in God's courtroom. It's called our justification. Our justification. The the moment in time, real time, in your life, in my life, when God pardons us of all our sins, and He accepts us, you and me, as righteous in His sight, not because of anything that we have done, not because of anything that He sees in us, but only because of Jesus' perfect obedience. And because the Father is fully satisfied with Jesus' his Son, everything He was, everything He did, everything He now is, as He sits by His Father's side in heaven. That's what God says of us. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation, For those who are in Christ Jesus. That is God, the judge's legal declaration. Is that good news to you? Therefore, now, no condemnation. Court dismissed. What should you do when you leave the courtroom? A a free person. Well, you should feel enormously, enormously grateful that you are free that you're not in prison, that you're not awaiting the death sentence. And you should be absolutely determined that you are not going to live as you lived before, that you are not going to squander this newfound freedom, that you will gratefully live the kind of life the judge expects you to live when he set you free. And when we live that way, it's called Repentance. It is when the one who is set free, that's you and me, as believers in Christ, we're justified, we're set free, and we have this sense of our sin. And we understand that God has been merciful in setting us free. And so there's grief in our lives, there's hatred in our lives, there's shame in our lives. For the sins that we once enjoyed, for the sins that we once reveled in, We we don't view them that way anymore. As a matter of fact, we we turn our backs on them. And we make a new determination that we are going to live a life that pleases God. That's repentance. Turning our back daily on sin and turning toward Christ. And that is our part of the legal contract that God made with us. He justifies us. He declares that we are not guilty. And we determine, we determine, that we are going to live a life of repentance before Him. Daily. Daily determining that we will live a life of obedience to God. This is not optional. Okay? This is not optional. This is what God requires of those He has justified. Those who is made right. We see it even here in the Old Testament in verse 11. The passage that we just read. It says, Therefore... Therefore, because God is faithful, because God is even right now keeping his covenant, therefore, take care to follow the decrees, commands, and the laws I give you today. That was the people's part of the covenant arrangement. The shaking hands part. The mutual agreement of loyalty. Faithful God, you've been good to us. You, by your own goodwill and your own grace, entered into a covenant with us. You have chosen us. You have agreed to be our God. You have allowed us to be your people. And because you are our shield and because you are our very great reward, we will live a life of obedience before you. That's the agreement. The covenant agreement between God and his people. And we see it throughout the rest of the book of Deuteronomy. These commands where God says, if you obey me, these blessings will be yours. If you obey me, these blessings will be yours. If you obey me, then I will bless you. And so obedience is required of those who are in a covenant relationship with God. Even those who are in a covenant relationship with God through Christ. Listen to what Jesus said. This is in the Gospel of John. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Obeying the Lord is part of being in a loving relationship with the Lord. But see, we can't do that on our own, just by our own will and by our own strength. And so what does God do for us? He pours out his grace. He pours out His grace on us so that we can obey, so that we can experience, so that we won't miss out on all those blessings that come to us when we live a life of obedience. God, in His grace, wants us to have it all. He does. God, in His grace, He wants us to have it all. And so He gives us His grace to enable us to have it all. If you are looking at grace this morning as a license to do what you want to do. If you're looking at grace this morning as license to live how you want to live, because you know that God is gracious and that He will forgive you anyway, you are looking at grace in the wrong way. Titus 2. We've read this so many times. For the grace of God has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age God pours out his grace on us so that you and I can live a life of obedience before him the apostle John he writes in uh, the first letter John first John chapter 3 dear children don't let anyone deceive you about this when people do what is right It shows they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, so they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. One more, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Well then... This is what we like. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more of his wonderful grace? We love to say yes to that. Don't we? Yeah, I'll sin and God will dump out his grace. But what's the answer? Of course not! Exclamation point. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And so this is the duty side of the covenant. Even the new covenant that we have in Christ, this is the legal arrangement. But let me ask you this, when is the last time that you looked at a judge clad in his black robe, her black robe, sitting high up on the bench and got the warm fuzzies? <laughs> Did you? Looking at the judge? Or when's the last time that you heard a judge uh, declare someone not guilty and saw that person run up and give the judge a great big old hug? Yeah, not so much. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's more like the judge saying, I'm letting you go, but I don't want to see you in my courtroom again, right? And so the person who's been pardoned can't wait to escape the presence of the judge, can't wait to get out of the courtroom, even though they've been acquitted. But here's the thing, there is more to our relationship with God than just legal. There's more to our relationship with God than just the handshake, more than just a pledge to live a life of obedience. And the more of our relationship is love. God did more than just shake hands with Abraham to seal the deal. Look in verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. It wasn't just a covenant that God made with Abraham. It was a covenant of love. The, The legal part of the agreement, it's a settled matter. God has done it. He has entered the covenant. We have been justified. It's an established fact, the legal declaration that has been made. But now let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever done this? Gone to your spouse and said, Hey, honey, I know what. Let's go out and have a really nice dinner tonight. Candlelight, wonderful meal." You know, after we finished our meal and while we're waiting for the dessert to come and while we're just kind of looking at each other through the glow of the candlelight, which is important when you get older, but anyway. (laughs) The glow of the candlelight and and you know what? I'm just going to pull out our marriage license and we're just going to sit there and look at that. How many of you have done that before? Ever? No. How many of you will ever do that? Please say no. No, never, never, never. No, we are not going to do that. That is not what we do. When I officiate at these weddings, I sign the marriage license and I mail it in to Erwin Condon because he is the probate judge and he records that license and puts it in some remote place. Nobody looks at their marriage license again even though that piece of paper is what made you legal. That piece of paper is really what uh, began you on this marriage. But now... You live out the relationship of love that that license initiated, and so it is with Christ. When we are in Christ, our names have been recorded in the book of life, right? In indelible ink. They're not going to be erased. Our names have been recorded there. But right now, in this moment of time, our hearts are full of love for God because the love of God is so full for us. Look in verses 7 and 8 of this passage. And the different words used here, uh, translated in verse 7, that God said his affection, God said his love on us. In verse 8, we read, because the Lord loved you. Uh, and, and this word carries with it, in addition to the duty part, which is there, the emotional part of God's love. And we get an understanding of that when we look and see how this same word that's used to describe God's people is used in other places in Scripture. There's one story in Genesis chapter 34. One father goes to another father on behalf of his son. And he says, the soul of my son, Shechem, longs for your daughter. Longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. And scripture says that this son loved this girl. He loved her. He spoke tenderly to her. And so finally, the son speaks on his own behalf before the father. And he says, please be kind to me. And let me marry her, he begged. And I will give you whatever you ask. No matter what dowry or gift you demand, I will gladly pay it. Just give me the girl as my wife. Is this handshake language? No. This is intense emotion of the heart, longing. This is the kind of love with which God loves us, his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, God says, If you notice uh, among the captives a beautiful woman and you are attracted to her, you desire her, you love her, same word, you may take her as your wife. This isn't handshake language. This is intense emotion of a heart language. The same kind of love that God has for us, his people. And so if you and I are going to love God rightly and obey God rightly and serve God rightly with the life that he's given us, and in this place, in this land in which he has placed us, then we have to have a complete image of who God is to bring it to his fullness. Because God is not only our judge, though he is that, but he is also, as we sing so often, the lover of our souls. That's the truth of Scripture. And God uses language like this To let us know of the deep emotion that he has for us. Though we cannot get our minds around it. His desire to be with us. He wants to be with us. And he wants us to be with him because he loves us. And that's why the relationship between God and his people is so often compared to a marriage. And God's love for us. The intensity of his love for us is why God refers to himself as a jealous God. I am a jealous God. We've seen it three times already, just in the little bit of land that we have uh, gone through in Deuteronomy. Three times, God says, I am a jealous God. And he's jealous over us because he loves us so much. When I do premarital counseling, I give every couple this inventory. It's got 156 questions, and those questions are broken up into different categories, like friends and interests, family background, communication, that kind of thing. And so each couple has to answer the statement that they read with an agree, a disagree, or an uncertain. Now, there are two questions that always, always spark a lively discussion in these counseling sessions. And these are the statements. I am concerned about my future spouse's relationship with people of the opposite sex. Agree, disagree, or uncertain. The second one is my future spouse is not jealous when I show attention to or look at persons of the opposite sex. Agree, disagree, or uncertain. See, jealousy, like anything else, can get out of control. It can become sinful. But it is a legitimate emotion. Because your spouse or your future spouse belongs to you and no one else. And you demonstrate your love for that person by not wanting them to go off with someone else or have someone else try to take them away from you because you love them. If you knew, if you knew that your spouse was going off to meet someone else and you said to your spouse from the recliner, Okay, honey. Have a good time. I'll probably be asleep when you get home, so come back quietly. What kind of love would that be? If you had shaken hands at the altar, yeah, maybe. But if you kissed at the altar, not acceptable. God has a deep love for his people, a jealous love. He says in Hosea chapter 11, For my people are determined to desert me, They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you? My heart, listen, this is God talking about His people. My heart is torn within me. My compassion, my love overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy you. God loves His people. And to keep from destroying the people made in His image, people that He loves so much, what did God do? God sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the only one He had, the father gave to demonstrate his love. That's how much God, your father, loves you. The father in the story that, that Jesus told did not run out to his prodigal son who had been living a wild and crazy life. He did not run out to his son and stick out his hand and say, well, son, welcome home. Uh, I'm glad you're back. And I'm glad to see that you have made wise decisions and want to start living uh, responsibly now. Is that what the father did in this story? That's not what he did. The father ran out to this son who had been living this wild life. He ran out to him. He threw his arms around him and he kissed his son. And then he threw a big party to celebrate his return because that's how much the father loved that son. Jesus, the son, demonstrated his love by willingly going to the cross to die for us. And what greater demonstration of love could anyone give to convince another person of the the depth and the extent of their love? He, He had nothing more to give, nothing greater to give than his own life, and he gave it. And so here's the question. Why is it that God wants me and you right now to know that he loves us so much? And why is it that God doesn't use only justice language, but God uses love language, language of compassion and desire and longing? How do loved people act? How do you act when you know you're loved? How should you act? How should I act when we know we are so greatly and intensely loved by God? People who know they're loved are confident people. They're not pitiful. They're not insecure. They're not needy because they know the love of God for them. People who know they're loved are joyful people. They're not sad people. People who are loved are peaceful people. They're not anxious and worried. They know they're loved by God. And people who know they are loved are productive people. Because the time and energy that other people spend trying to get the love from the person they love, trying to win that love, that time goes in other places doing other things. Namely, sharing that same love that we have received to others. I am going... Can I have one more minute? Okay, three more minutes. I have a favorite hymn. And this is the last verse of this hymn. Verse 3. Could we with ink the oceans fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above, would drain the oceans dry. And nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. You know where that verse came from? The man who wrote the hymn didn't write that verse. He wrote verses 1 and 2, but he needed a third verse. And he remembered a poem, this poem, that had been given to him. And do you know where they found the words of this poem? Written on the wall of either a prison cell or an asylum. And the inmate there had written these words on the wall. And the person died in that cell. And when they died and their body was removed, they went in to repaint the cell. And here were the words, these words written. And so that prisoner, whoever he was and whatever he did was free, even though he was locked up because he knew the love of God. God loves us. We need to live our lives free in the love of God, free and confidently for God to do great things together with and for God because he loves us so much. Let's pray. Father, we can't understand your love for us because it doesn't make sense to us. It's like nothing that we have ever experienced in our lives. Lord, no matter how much we may love one another here on earth, our love is not pure. It's tainted. It's tainted with selfishness and desire to have our own way. Our love is tainted by manipulation. Lord, we we use our love to try to get others to give things to us or or do things for us. And so our love and the expression of it is not pure like your love for us is. Father, you love us just because. You're not trying to get anything from us, to give uh, something to you. Father, all you require of us is our faith in you and our belief that you do love us just this much. And so, Father, I pray that we would be released, that you would set us free to know your love. Lord, we easily live in prison cells, even if it doesn't have any bars on it, because we are bound up. And Lord, set us free, because we know and understand how much you love us. And Father, I pray with lives that are transformed by your love, we would uh, go to work sharing that amazing, measureless, boundless love with others. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.